0: All right, so last week I might have confused a few people with a doctrine called perpetual creation. I know some of you were kind of like, for real? Chaos? Creation? In the blink of an eye? One person said to me afterwards, does any other pastor ever preach on that before? I was like, I don't know, maybe. Here's here's what I want you to understand. I'm not sure... That that's exactly how God works and that how God creates. But we could take this idea, we can link it to Scripture and say, here is a possibility, but I'm not sure I completely buy into all of the, the, uh, the points of the doctrine of perpetual creation. But I, I, I present things like that to you, so that you will start to think, so you will start to be confused, so you will start to wrestle with God, so you just don't take your faith as something that's just there and something you don't engage. But I want you to wrestle. I want you to think. I want you to feel uncomfortable sometimes, because when we're uncomfortable in the areas of our faith, we can begin to grow in our faith. One of the things for me that I've really been wrestling with, okay, if God does not just allow things to happen, but that everything that happens is by his divine purpose. You know what? That opens up a big can of worms and questions for me. Because there's a lot of really bad things that happen in the world that we could say are bad. But yet, how can God be, be creating those things? And so for me, I mean, I'm really wrestling with the, the intentionality of God, that he is in charge and in control and actually creating each and every circumstance that we live, that's, that's really hard to get. That's hard to understand because the reality of it is, and I, I hate, I'm going to, I hate, and I'm going to say this, God is good all the time. And so how can all of this stuff be happening? So, so I hope that it caused you to be challenged. I hope it made you think. I hope it confused you. But just don't let that confusion sit. You know, one thing I like, I really enjoy about teaching things that normal, Normal is not a good word, um, one th- that, that, that usual evangelical churches uh, teach is You remember it after that. A, a few years ago, I, I did this whole series. It was called the Hard Teaching Series. And, and within this series, I, I went to the story of Adam and Eve, and I, and I taught kind of what the rabbis taught about the, the formation, the creation of Adam and Eve, and how some rabbis will teach that. Adam and Eve were created as a homorphodite. And people still remember that. Now, I just kind of threw it out there, but that was years ago. I will guarantee you that no one in here, and if I'm wrong, I've been wrong before, but I'll guarantee you no one in here could remember what I taught on two weeks ago. Anyone? But you remember Homorphodite from about four years ago. So, so it's good to be challenged. It's good to take things outside of the norm, and don't worry about it. It's a problem throughout churches. We pastors get it. You don't remember. For, you know, sometimes I forget what I preached on last week. So it's, it's really not a big deal. But, but, but be challenged. Just don't let it sit there. Be challenged in your faith. Always ask the questions. Always think of new questions to ask because that's how we grow. All right, let's go. John chapter 11. Verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you. And yet you are going back. So Jesus gets word that Lazarus is sick. That that the person that he loves, this person that that obviously all he has to be mentioned is that he loves him. The one that you love is sick. And it's not for death, Jesus says. Don't worry about it. This is for the glory of God to be revealed. Now what's very interesting to me is once again, John wants us to understand that Jesus loves this family. He loves Martha. He loves Martha's sister who is Mary. And he loves Lazarus. This is this is a deep love. This is a, a deep friendship. This is not, I love me some chicken kind of love. You know, this is like like what people experience, deep friends and family experience. But yet Jesus is gonna hang back for a couple of days. Maybe, maybe, maybe John wants us to understand that just because he's not leaving right away, it's not from a place of indifference, it's not from a place of, of not caring, because Jesus it says that he loves them, but let's face it, I mean. Like the the, the the humanity in me would say, if you know that your friend is sick and you can do something about it, you're gonna, you should leave right away. But Jesus doesn't. In fact, he hangs out for a few more days. And you know what? In the story, if you read the whole story, there's no real indication that Jesus is doing anything really important or really pressing. Yes, I know he's always on mission. He's always doing the will of the Father. I get all that, but there's, there's nothing really like he's not whooping it up with the Pharisees. He's not, he's not curing. He's not healing. It really doesn't say anything, but yet he still stays for a few days, and, and, and there's this pressing issue over here with his friend, but yet he ain't going, and he's going to hang. Now, there's something I think we have to understand about the story. Jesus did not wait for Lazarus to die. He wasn't going, yeah, he's sick. Let's wait till he dies and then we'll go. Because there's, there's a timeline that takes place here. And some scholars will disagree. I kind of fall on the side of what I'm going to share with you now. Jesus was about a day's journey from Judea where Lazarus was. And so it took about a day for the messengers to get the message to Jesus. The one that you love is sick. And then Jesus will stay two more days and then he will travel the day's journey to be with the family. So we could we could gather from that evidence that Lazarus probably died Shortly after the messengers were sent to give Jesus the message or somewhere in between there, because if this four-day period has happened, one day to travel to get Jesus the message, two days he's there, another day for him to travel, that's four days. It says when he gets to the tomb that Lazarus was dead for four days. And so there's probably not, he's probably not waiting for him to die. I, I don't buy the fact that he just wanted to add some extra drama or extra pain to the whole story. Now, there is a clue as to why he would let him stay in the grave for four days, but we're going to get to that later on in the story, and I'm not going to share that with you now. But what I want you to see is that Jesus is consistent in his commitment to only do what the Father tells him to do, to only do what he sees the Father doing. He will not be swayed by opinions. He will not be swayed by pleas. He will not be swayed by even the love of his friends. He will only do what he believes the Father is telling him to do. And I have to wonder if the human part of him, the fully human part of Jesus, he he was hurting. I mean, he... I'm sure he wanted to go and he wanted to heal and he wanted to help. These are people that he loves, but he knew the will of the father supersedes everything that he would do. Because you know, sometimes God's stuff is really, really hard. Sometimes to do the things God calls us to do is difficult, but that doesn't mean we're not called to do it. Jesus understood that God's plan wasn't the better plan. He understood that God's plan was the best possible plan that could play out in this situation. No matter what the earthly outcome looked like, he knew that following God was the best thing that he could do in that moment. And so he waits, and he waits for two days. And then he says, all right, guys, let's go. But then the boys speak up, right? They're like, uh, rabbi, which is teacher. They still call him teacher. Jesus heals the blind man. He's teaching. He's fighting with the Pharisees. He's ducking out. There's threats on his life. And they still call him teacher. He said, I and the father are one. He's making claims of divinity and his disciples, the ones closest to him. They still call him teacher. They have yet to understand who he is. They still don't get it. They say, teacher. Rabbi, maybe, maybe in our modern day translation, it would be, dude, why do you want to go back there? People tried to kill you. They tried to throw rocks at you. They tried to arrest you. It's probably not a good idea for you to go there. And this is what Jesus will answer. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Those who walk in the daytime will not stumble for they see by this world's light. It is when people walk at night that they stumble, for they have no light. And I kind of laugh at this because when you just kind of read it, you might just want to say, duh. I mean, you know, there's nothing like really deep and profound there. When when it's night, you stumble. When it's light, you can see where you're walking. But Jesus is always pushing things deeper. Jesus always is, is moving things in the direction of who he is and the truth of who he is and the truth of who he is in relation to God. And yes, the obvious, the obvious thing in this whole statement, this whole passage of text is Timex, Rolex, Invitica, all the watch companies have yet to find their niche market in, you know, 30 AD. Or 30, yeah, 30 AD, that's when Jesus is around. So there are no watches at this point. Yes, they had the sundial, probably made from sun systems way back when, but, but we, we don't really know. And the common man probably didn't use a sundial. So the way they broke things up is there's 12 hours of daylight and there's 12 hours of darkness. And one hour was either one twelfth of the day or one twelfth of the evening. It did not matter if the day lasted 14 or 15 hours. There were still only 12 hours of daylight. They just kind of adjusted things to make it fit. So Jesus is stating something very obvious that when you have the light of this world's you'll be able to walk. And when you don't have the light of the world, when it's dark, you will stumble. And time and time again, we see in the Gospel of John where Jesus is referenced as the light of the world. He is the light. And yes, it's obvious. It's daylight, I can see. It's night, I can't see. But what he's telling his disciples is, don't worry about anything. Don't worry about Getting beat up, getting rocks thrown at you because nothing is going to happen. Unless it is supposed to happen that while you have the light of the world with you Everything is going to happen just as god has intended it to happen Nothing is going to slip through god's fingertips. Nothing is going to fall through the cracks It's not going to happen a moment too soon. It's not going to happen a moment later God's divine purpose will all be played out and you guys have nothing really to worry about and in fact While you still have the light of the world with you, you guys got to get on it and do the work. Do the work while it's still light. The work of the one who sent me over and over again. We see this theme of, of light in the gospel of John. And then the text moves on. After he said this, he went to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So the idea of falling asleep, or death, in the Bible for the follower of Jesus Sleep and death, they're, they're a metaphor for each other because, because in Christ, those who have died have actually not died but have fallen asleep because they will raise again one day and they will be with Christ eternally for each, as, as eternal life. But this is a huge change of, of philosophy for the ancients. Death was the thing they feared the most. Death was the adversary and the enemy that everyone lost the fight to. No one beat death. Even if they considered you a god, your body would die. And then they made up some all kinds of cool stuff that you were traveling somewhere else. But you died. Everyone died. Nobody beat death. And that was a very scary thing for ancient people, especially when diseases took place or especially when people were mauled by by wild animals. I mean, there were some pretty traumatic ways to die back then. And people died young. People died early. Children died all the time. It was something that they could not get away from. But Jesus now comes, and, and, and the followers of Jesus don't die. They sleep because one day they will be raised again to eternal life. Now understand that this whole idea of death, where is your sting, is is a future thing that has yet to take place because Jesus has yet to be crucified and raised from the dead to finally beat death once and for all. But we know that with Christ, believers in Jesus don't really die, we just sleep. And so he speaks of Lazarus as falling asleep. And the boys get all confused. They're like, cool, he's sleeping. That, that's a good sign because now if he sleeps, he must be getting better. He must be on the men's. This is a good thing, Jesus. Maybe they're thinking, now we don't have to go. Now we don't have to worry about getting rocks thrown at us. And Jesus is like, all right, listen up. The guy's dead, okay? Get it straight. He has died. Our friend Lazarus has died. And you know what? I'm glad I wasn't there. Now you guys are going to believe. I mean, that's, that's just like for real? I just want to say, Jesus, really? You're glad that you weren't there so now your, your, your boys could believe? That's kind of harsh, man. I mean, he's, he's going to do something amazing later on in the story, but, but the boys don't know that. They don't, they don't have the rest of the gospel written yet. It hasn't taken place. They don't know what's about to happen. Jesus does. But can you imagine hearing that? You're glad. Wait, this is a family. You love Jesus, for real? You're glad that, he's, that he died? You're glad that you weren't there? So we can believe what? When Jesus said to them, I'm glad I wasn't there to help so that you now could believe. What he is saying is, you know, now you boys are going to get it. Now you boys are going to understand it. You are going to know that the things that I've been talking about and the things that I have been doing are true. You are going to have a confidence in me that you have never had before, a confidence that I and the Father are one. You are finally going to get a hold of this thing. You are going to understand all of the things that I've been teaching and all the things that I've been doing, and this is going to help you out with the things that I will be doing. Jesus tells them, finally, you are going to have faith. Finally, you are going to have faith. He knows that this event that is about to take place, Lazarus being raised from the dead, is going to bring these guys to either maybe a new faith or deepen the faith that they already have. I mean, this is a very traumatic thing, and yet it's it's an amazing thing that's going to happen, and he knows it's going to help them believe. Dare I say that Jesus knows that it's going to take something like this for them to believe. Something this huge, something this traumatic to jumpstart their faith. Because up until now, I guess, you know, seeing a a man born blind and get some mud squished in his eye and he could see that wasn't, that wasn't enough to, to believe who Jesus was. It's going to take this, this intense, amazing thing. Now these guys are going to get it. Could it be could it be that Jesus, knowing people, knowing life, knowing how life works, knowing the brokenness we experience, knows that faith is just not an easy thing? That faith in God and faith in, in, in Jesus and God and God's stuff is, is hard to come by. And sometimes, you know what? It's even harder to maintain. I mean, if we're real and if we're honest, we all wrestle in certain areas of our faith that God has got this. And so, I mean, think about it. Jesus is glad that his friend is dead and that the family that he loves is experiencing this trauma of losing someone they love. He's glad. Why is he glad? So his disciples will understand who he is and come to faith. So don't you think that maybe... He understands that faith for us is a little bit difficult. He must know, God must understand that as we move through this world, as we perceive the things that are wrong and broken, as we experience the good and the bad and the the hard and the easy and all the ups and downs, as we, as we have doubts every day about the goodness of God. And oh, I know you have doubts about the goodness of God because you know what? I have doubts about the goodness of God. And sometimes it's hard to really understand the goodness of God. And all of that, God must know because he loves us and he cares for us. He must know that faith is hard and faith in him is hard. And childlike faith, <laughs> Childlike like faith is like impossible on most days and just out of reach on all the rest that faith is difficult and he must I, I cannot believe he doesn't know us enough to understand that we're not just we're not just well a lot of us are arrogant and stupid but in part it's hard for us to trust God in that way and he knows it yet he still loves us but in all of that we understand that Faith is important. Faith is important for our relationship with God. It says in the Bible that you cannot please God without faith. Great. So God's always mad at me now. Mm-hmm. Let me carry that around for a while. No, no, no. See, but, but I don't believe it's like that. And it's so important for our faith that we have faith so we can engage the world the way God has called us to engage the world. And here's the thing. We all have faith in something. and You hear that all the time. We all have faith in something. We all have faith that when you sat down in that chair, the chair didn't collapse. That's kind of corny, but I mean, it's true though. I wouldn't put too much faith in our chairs here, but I mean, that's beside the point we have insurance. Don't worry about it. Um, We all have faith in something. We followers of God, followers of Jesus, we have faith that God has created this world. And in this world, he has established certain laws, certain laws of nature, certain ways that things operate, certain norms that we see every day. But our world does not operate on its own. In fact, in Colossians, it says that Jesus Holds everything together. So, is there there is a divine intervention in our cre- in the creation that God created that we live in? That Jesus is holding it all together. He is making it all work. He's making sure that that things happen the way that we have been accustomed to them happening that we call day when the sun is up, and eventually the sun will go down, and then the moon will come up. We have faith that those things are going to happen. And so we call those things laws of nature. But we really don't have any laws because God is holding all of these things together. He's making sure they all all happen. What we do only have is God's preordained behavior patterns, things that he has chosen to set up so that we could survive and live. And we know that he, he very seldom departs from those things. But when he does, we call those miracles. Does that make you feel better? It's like, oh, that's a miracle. That's way out of the norm. But miracles only really give us this, this make us feel better that there are actually laws. You know, These have to take place. And we live in a faith that things will operate the way they always have operated in the past almost like it's some inherent necessity. But it's really not. It's only God's desire to continue behavior patterns that he has established. It's his desire to keep the things that are going the way they're going. And so we have faith that the sun will rise in the east and that water flows downhill, but it would be no less of a miracle if the sun rose in the west and water started running uphill because God could do whatever God wants to do. And so we operate in faith that God is going to just take care of it all, that it's going to happen the same way all the time. No matter, no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, the sun will come up the sun will go down, water will always run downhill. But Jesus is not talking about those simple little things of faith. He's talking about something much, much deeper. He's talking about faith in God. He's talking about faith in him. He's talking about faith that he is the Messiah. He's talking about faith that he is the way to the Father. He's talking about faith that he is control and control, that he and the Father are one. That's the faith that Jesus is talking about. And at times, those things, even for us who call ourselves Jesus followers, those things are hard to live with, especially when life seems to be spinning out of control and you're confused, especially in those times where things are just falling apart around you. Or what about those times you don't even think God is listening to you anymore? And you pray and you pray and you pray and you get nothing. Does it rattle your faith? Does it shake your faith? Does it just make you just be like, oh, I don't get this. Why are you letting this happen? And so faith, the, the faith that Jesus is calling his disciples to and he calls us to, man, it's hard. I do believe God understands it. And we can have faith and we can have doubt because God is a good God. And a few, I don't know, a few months ago, maybe it was, I I spoke and I taught on, I bet you don't remember, ha, ha, ha. But anyway, I I spoke and taught on how you can experience faith even within our doubts. And so I don't want to, I don't want to go back there again, uh, just rehash something that we already talked about. I guess the question has come for me now, how do we, as followers of Jesus, how do we deepen faith? I mean, we can argue that we don't have all the cool stuff that the disciples have. We don't have people being, um, you know, their their blindness is, is cured instantaneously, blindness from birth. We don't have people being raised from the dead. Or, you know, we just don't see miracles like that anymore. Or, 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 is it that we just don't perceive miracles anymore? You know, one of the toughest jobs I think God has is to take a miracle and make it look like a coincidence or an accident so it doesn't freak us out. And so maybe maybe we just don't perceive the miracles that God is doing around us all the time. But how do we deepen our faith? I mean, how do we get that, that, that childlike faith? How do we walk in faith? How do we please God with faith? Well, I believe it begins with a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's it. I mean, it comes from a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, but that relationship has to continually be nurtured and deepened and it needs to become more and more intimate. And within that intimacy, faith will grow. I want to talk to you this morning, we're going to end with, with these things. Um, four ways and and i and i just i wrestled with this all week i really did you know like i am not a step guy like you know four easy steps to ta-da and i just i so i'm not going to call these steps these are spiritual disciplines doesn't it sound much better like you know you know because spiritual disciplines are harder i think to 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 embrace and, and practice in your life and so you know I just, I felt so Rick Warren-esque because I even have like a PowerPoint slide. They're gonna, like bullets are gonna come in and stuff. And I'm just like, oh, I can't, but I'm gonna do this, okay? Because I think it's important. These are four spiritual disciplines that I would like you to consider and to begin to practice to deepen your relationship with God. And by deepening your relationship with God, you will begin to deepen your faith, all right? I can't believe I'm gonna say this. Bullet number one. Claim truth wherever you find it. We spend so much time and so much energy trying to separate God's stuff from the rest of the world. That that we can only experience God in church. We can only experience God with the fellowship of my Christian friends at the potluck dinner. We we, we just kind of separate God from, from all of the rest of the world because there's only certain areas where God can actually be seen that the truth of God can actually be experienced. And I'm here to tell you that's absurd. Because if we are missing the truths of God, the everyday truths of God, we're missing simple truths and we're still missing profound truths that, we, that he reveals to us every day. The Bible has stories in it of people of other faiths, pagan kings that were used for the purpose of God, to display the truths of God. And we need to be open. We need to be aware of God's truth around us in the everyday experience, learning to recognize it, learning to learn it from the everyday, from the all day. Jesus said, I am the truth, not me personally. Jesus is the truth. And truth is truth. You don't don't mess with truth. I don't believe there's and the relative idea of truth, there is no absolute truth, which we all know is an absolute truth. falls apart really quick, doesn't it? Truth is truth. And if Jesus said, "He is the truth, not that He teaches the truth, not that he speaks the truth, he is the truth. And if he is intimately involved in his creation, holding everything together, making sure it all works the way that we have come to expect it to work then his truth is displayed everywhere and in everything somewhere. You just got to look for it. And when you find it, when you find the truth of Christ in some other place that you had never expected it to be, claim it for what it is. And by doing so, you experience God every day. Next point. Claim the glory of God, wherever you see it. Some things in this life, some things in this world are just about goodness and beauty, period. And goodness and beauty are a reflection of the glory of God. If an atheist man... Who does not believe in God, does not believe anything about it, believes that we crawled out of a pit of primordial ooze and we've gotten here just by random selection. If an atheist man loves his family, loves his children, sacrifices for them, works hard, volunteers at a homeless shelter or a children's hospital, does all of these things, you know what? That is the glory of God revealed. God's glory does not take a backseat to what you believe or what you don't believe. And so when a painter paints a picture, when a sculptor creates a sculpture out of clay or rock or whatever, when, when a poet brings words together that speak to our soul, when a musician just takes random notes and strings them together and makes music, when a writer creates a story, when you hear the laughter of children, no matter what faith they are, that is the glory of God revealed and claim it for what it is. Wherever there's goodness, wherever there's beauty, they exist because God has created them. And that we're to claim those things as the glory of God. And by doing that, you will see God in the every day. And you will experience him in the every day. Next point. Honor people that disagree with you. You know, faith, faith that's exercised, a mature faith, is our ability and our willingness to love without bias and to honor people without bias, especially people who disagree with us, especially people who get under our skin. Listen, you don't have to like them. You don't have to like what they're saying. You don't have to like what they're doing. But as Jesus followers, we are called to see the God in them, even if it's as basic and simple as understanding that they too have been created in the image of God. You know, wrong people show up everywhere. They show up in our families. They show up at our churches. They show up in our jobs. Sometimes wrong people even show up in our own shoes. And some of the people that have challenged me, some of the people that have called me out, they were more honoring to me than I was ever honoring to them. And you know what I find sometimes? People that do not walk a Christian faith, have more honor for people who disagree with them than we Christians do. That is sad. That is sad and unacceptable. It's unexcusable. When you can begin to recognize God in all people, all people, all people, all people, when you can begin to recognize God in all people, you will begin to experience God every day. The last one, it's okay not to understand everything. There are things about God you will never understand. There are things about God that are just going to be beyond our grasp forever. And when you die, and if you think you're going to understand everything, you're wrong. Okay, God is not going to reveal everything about him because your spirit would probably explode and that would, or it would make you like God. And you're not ever going to be like God whether it's here in this world or in the next. You will not understand everything about God. It's okay. There are questions you should be asking that you don't even know you should be asking, let alone answers that you continually look for. And that's okay that you don't know everything, but you know enough To love Jesus, you know enough to build a relationship with Him, to trust Him. We may never understand the mystery of creation, whether it's perpetual or done in six days, six million years. You can argue, young earth, old earth, I really don't care. We may never understand free will and divine control and how God is intimately involved in everything, but yet we have free will and divine control. And yet how God is, I mean, you know, it's just this this, this circle. We may never, we will never understand all of those things. But here's what we know, that God loved this world so much. He sent Jesus that whoever will believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And that through Jesus, we're called to learn to do good and to seek justice and to help people who don't have the things that we have and to love and honor all people. We're called to believe in Jesus, have faith in him, and we are called to walk humbly before our God. It has nothing to do with arguing over the stupid things that we argue over in Christianity. It's okay that we don't know everything. And by doing, by understanding that, by keeping to these simple things, yes, you can wrestle with the bigger things and you need to wrestle, but you need to live. You can't get caught up in trying to figure all that out before you live these things. You need to live these things. You need to live these things. The simple things, we're simple people. God created us simple, or we oopsed in the garden and now we're simple. Whatever you want to, however you want to rationalize it, we have to live these things. And by doing these four spiritual disciplines, because they are not steps, I don't care what anybody says, these four spiritual disciplines, you will begin to experience God every day. How do you grow a relationship deeper? You grow it by spending time with the other person. And we need to experience God every day to grow deeper in our relationship with him and understanding him and experiencing him. And as we grow deeper in that relationship, our faith will grow deeper. Our faith will mature. You will find yourself standing on that rock when that storm hits and you will say, I will not be blown to and fro because I have faith. Maybe, maybe the problem with faith in the church, maybe the problem with faith throughout Christianity is we just have a really poor relationship with God. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for the gift of faith. And God, could you pour it out upon us? But Lord, not without deepening our relationship with you that we would walk in communion with you, that we would walk side by side with you, that we would know what it means to be loved by you and we would understand grace and we would understand mercy and we would understand who we are in your eyes, not so it can just end with us, but so that we can project that and love and be graceful and be merciful to the rest of your creation. God, help us to see you every day and in, in the little things every day that we can walk in the spirit. So help us, forgive us for our shortcomings, encourage us, keep us close to you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.